You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to this episode of Locked on Cavaliers, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. As always, I am Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at BeerTheSword.com, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers site. If you aren't already, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the new Himalaya podcast app, or wherever else you may listen to podcasts. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts is the best way to support the show, and you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Locked on Cavs. I am on Twitter and Facebook at CWMWrites. Today's show is going to kick off our off-season series. So we are going to start this series by looking back at this past season and then getting into what is to come with free agency, obviously the draft, and everything else that could happen with the Cleveland Cavaliers this summer. So the Cavs did play on Sunday. They hosted the Spurs in the 81st game of the season. It was a loss for the Cavs, trailed by as many as 25, lost 112 to 90 to the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, The only notable thing I would say that stood out to me from this game was that the Cavs did a fantastic job of honoring one Channing Frye. Uh, Fry started in place of Kevin Love. They gave Fry the chance to really start and maybe have his, what is likely, I would assume, his last start as an NBA career. There was video tributes. The, as, uh, as you can find on my Twitter page, the Cavs gave him a work of art where he was carrying Richard Jefferson and Kevin Love in his back. Two of his obviously best friends in the world, Richard, was in attendance for this game. When Kevin Love checked in, he was wearing Channing Frye's number 45 Arizona jersey, which he said after the game that he got less than 24 hours before this uh, happened. And it was very cool to see him poke fun at this run like that and just have fun with it. Um, the whole arena and the whole bench was really celebrating every time Frye got a chance to score. And when Fry took out of the game for good in the fourth quarter, he got tackled on the bench and was mobbed by his teammates. And it was just a really cool scene for a really good guy. I will link to it in the show notes, but his post-game meet availability was just fantastic. I'm really going to miss um, his humor, his candor when when I got the couple of chances to talk to him. But Fry finished with five points, four rebounds in 16 minutes. Uh, leading the way for the Cavs in scoring was were Knight and Sexton with 16 each. Uh, Jordan Clarkson had uh, two, which I believe may be a season low for him. Ante Zizic had 14 Jetty had 12, Nance with 12, and Love in 13 minutes had 5 points, 4 rebounds, did not play in the second half. The only injury, Nick Stauskas, due to the lower back contusion he suffered against the Warriors. But today's show is myself and Jake Chapman. He is the he's a producer at 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. You can find him on Twitter at Jake Chapman 923 
Jake is an excellent Twitter follow. He's an excellent uh, talker. He's an excellent mind. He's a great guy to talk to. I'm finally glad to finally get him on the show. Um, if you caught it, I was on his show on Sunday on 92.3 at about 1 p.m. You can go back to radio.com or 92.3.com and check that out. But today's show, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of offseason things. Uh, really kicking off, we're not going to learn much more the rest of the way this week. We're going to have starting our play review series. That's going to start tomorrow with Jackson Flickinger from Field of the Shore talking with me about Stauskas, Brandon Knight, and Matthew Dallabadova. We'll recap that final game of the season, Cavs-Hornets Tuesday night, and we'll see what, what goes from there and then exit interviews whenever those happen. But a whole bunch of stuff coming down the pipeline. But uh, without further ado, here is myself and Jake Chapman in our first really big offseason breakdown here on Lockdown Caps. Thanks for listening. Joining me now is Jake Chapman, a producer with 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Jake, how's it going? Hey, Chris. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, so thanks. I'm really glad to have Jake on. It's the end of the Cavs season. Um, Jake, for you, we're going to start big picture. What to you were the was the thing to you that shaped, aside from maybe LeBron leaving, and you can answer that, I think, if you want to, but what do you feel like was the biggest shaping factor of this Cavs season? It ends up they lose a lot of games. They're at the top of the lottery or near the top of the lottery. Um, a lot of change, a lot of roster craziness. What to you was like the defining thing that you felt like shaped what we saw on the, on the, with the Cavs this year? Well, I think obviously, Chris, I mean, you hit on it. Like anytime LeBron James leaves your franchise, um, it's going to be a year of kind of recovery. And despite the fact that I think maybe headed into the year, I'm not sure the organization was all on the same page as far as that goes, um, pretty quickly, whether it was injuries or just kind of recalibrating where they were, um, I think they decided that they needed to move away from the veterans and go a little bit younger and try to build a core around Jetty and Colin. So I think that was what the year was, right? I mean, it was it was Colin Sexton, what do we have here? What's it going to look like? And obviously that um, varied quite a bit throughout the season. He started out almost historically bad um, and got better. And the jumper got better and post-all-star break, he's been almost a different player. So I think it's a year, and, and it, look, it's always going to be about Colin because he's your best young player, but then when you do it in hindsight, it's going to be about Colin because he's the biggest piece that came back from the Kyrie trade. So I think with that perspective, um, the year is actually about Kobe Altman. It's about it's about building for the future and what this team has now, what this team is poised to do moving forward. And I think there are a lot of reasons for optimism um, in that regard. I think if you go back and, and you try to grade the Kyrie deal, it's not going to look great. Um, but I think there's been a whole lot of things this year. I mean, the fact that you got a first-round pick for George Hill and you were able to turn, you know, Alec Burks and uh, Rodney Hood and all of those guys into valuable pieces moving forward uh, is certainly a positive. So I think it was about Colin, and it was about adding assets for the future, and I think they were able to, to kind of come out on top in both of those regards. And then the other thing is just I thought they needed to be bad this year to protect that pick. You didn't want to move off that first round pick and send it to Atlanta if you were one of these middling teams. Um, so I thought that was a, a primary objective as well. So I don't know if we'll ever get a clear answer to this. I don't know if I ever actually believe that they thought they were going to compete for the playoffs. Like, I don't know. And I, I, I understand that, like, why they would come out and say that. I think it helps you, you know, bring in Kevin, um, helps you get Channing to, you know, kind of hang around for a year and whatever. I just don't know how much they actually believe that um, or how much it was like smart of them to come out and like believe that. I don't I don't want to say like that they didn't think it was possible, but I think when you look at the roster and you look at what would be the best way to move forward, I think you're right. Like being bad and, and getting a chance to get Zion or RJ Barrett or one of these guys 
and, and restocking your asset data, like your cache of assets was the way forward. And I, winning on it, like if they were right now jockeying with the Hornets and the Heat for the eight seed, that wasn't going to help that. Like if George Hill is still in the team and Alec Burks is still in the team, like that's that wasn't going to help that if that actually was how it worked out. Were you expecting them to be bad? Like, there are a lot of people out there that, like, seem to actually think they, hey, like, Kevin Love's good, whatever, and his injury, of course, throws a wrinkle in a ton of this, but did you actually think that they would be as bad as they ended up being? I picked them to win 26 games before the season started, um, on the air, on Baskin and Phelps, and that was assuming that they were going to maintain this core and not have the injuries like they had, Chris. And I think it's it's really weird when you go back to the beginning of the season, because, like, Ty Lue was your head coach, remember? Remember Tristan Thompson talking in training camp about how they hadn't practiced anything defensively? I mean, it feels like, if nothing else, not everybody was on the same page at the beginning of the year. And, of course, that includes the coaching staff and Ty, but it also includes maybe ownership. And, uh, you know, I don't want to speculate too much. Um, it's one thing to send a message, hey, we're tanking, and, you know, no organization is going to want to do that. So I think you're sort of forward-facing stuff. It's good to sort of maintain – um, at least the notion that we're going to try to compete this year, especially because LeBron just left last summer. But I have to think in his heart of hearts, Kobe Altman knew like we need, you know, we need to tear it down a little bit, and maybe that includes re-signing Kevin Love in the summer because you think eventually he's going to be an asset. Maybe it includes trying to rebuild with a guy like Kevin Love on board because you know he's a good, you know, veteran presence in the locker room. Um, you know, it, whatever. But I don't think they went into the season really thinking, you know, at the end of the year. Like you said, Chris, all of these veterans are still going to be on the roster. I mean, I have to think Kobe Altman's a little bit smarter than that. And I anticipate, I'm, I'm sorry, like, I love Kevin Love, but if he's your best player, how good are you? I mean, Minnesota, Kevin Love never made the playoffs. Um, so I don't, I think it's kind of miscast that way if, if anybody honestly thought that they were going to be, um, you know, a playoff team with Kevin. And then that's the other thing. If you're talking about trying to tank without saying we're tanking, well, that's when a foot injury turns into, you know what, have surgery, now get it taken care of. Or that's when a calf or an ankle for a David Nwaba turns into a 30-game absence. Late season uh, shoulder sort of soreness. That's that a tanking yeah, move late, right there. Yep. Yeah, well, Tristan's resting right now, Chris. I'm load sure management, key load for, management but... for this for this, this West Coast road trip, just getting healthy for the playoffs. <laughs> Exactly. You're getting healthy to watch the playoffs at home. Yeah, Tristan's um, going so, yeah, to go home know, to like, L.A. It's like, chill PR, out. It, it's a PR thing. I mean, yeah. you don't want to say that's what we're doing, um, but I'm kind of glad that they were able to do it. Yeah, especially because, like, there's a new arena coming. Like, if you want to be cynical about it, like, that, that's, that's and I, I am, that there's a certain way that that is going to uh, kind of be that way. I will say that I the one way that I wasn't surprised that this went bad is, is the defense. Like, Ty and Michael Longabardi, like, the personnel was never set up to be good defensively. Like when Jordan, you have Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson and Alec Burks and, and, and Kevin Love, frankly, like you're just, there's a ceiling on your defense. Um, sure. That didn't surprise me. The I, And I think it shows that the offense could have at least been better for everyone if Kevin had played because the numbers just tell you like when he came back, it got better. I also probably think like it feels like two years ago at this point. I feel like firing Ty probably was kind of the the cleaner move for everyone. Um, I don't think I think there would have inevitably been something like we already got hints of it at the beginning of the year where like he didn't necessarily want to like go all in on playing the young guys. He wanted to play some of the vets. I feel like they needed to play the young guys even if they wanted to try and win. And I feel like maybe just getting Ty out of there, uh, maybe should have just been done in the summer. Like it just was kind of awkward when it was like six games into the year and, and Ty's gone. Um, that, that was kind of a weird thing, but it probably was the right move in retrospect. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think that speaks to kind of what I was saying. Like, I'm not sure everybody was on the same page early in the year, but it feels like they are now, and I guess that's all that's important. Well, we're going to wrap up our first segment um, on a lighter note. Um, there's a ton of starting lineups the Cavs have played this year. I think it's like 27. Of all the guys that have been on the roster this year, um, and you could, it's a poopery, whatever, how you ever pronounce that word, of guys that have... Actually, was that a Freudian slip? Yeah, I think so, considering the quality of guys on the team. <laughs> and then amount of guys that were number three, also very weird. Of all the guys that were on the roster this year that were just random, or even like the two A guys or whatever, do you have like a favorite random Cav that just randomly popped in for like a cameo on this team? Well, it's a good question. I will say this. I love David Nwaba. He's not random, but he's like the only guy who's kind of on the, um, you know, on the exterior or on the outer sort of frame of the future that I really, really hope they bring back. Um, I, Chris, when, when you throw Dang Adele in the mix, <laughs> you know, that was the point, I think, where everybody said, like, okay, here we go. We're moving forward. I think the campaign... Um, his moment wasn't too bad, and I realized that a lot of people loved Blossom Game because he's just kind of an easy guy to root for. But the Dang Adele, the, when they were playing Dang Adele for more than four minutes a game uh, for that what week or whatever, I was like, wow, this might be rock bottom for this year. <laughs> yeah, I think for me it's got to be Campaign because like there's no there's nothing that has ever suggested that Campaign was like anything more than russ is like dancing partner in okc like there there's no reason to think he's like a real nba player but it's like hey he came in and was like more competent than some of the guards the Cavs had played previously um just like okay that's where we're at also just like the whole patrick mccaw thing is like a minuscule footnote in the season but like hilarious (laughs) like you cannot you cannot convince me that that wasn't like sort of like just a jab at the warriors like i i know that it like they can they it can never be like said publicly as such i just can't believe that 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 wasn't something to like needle the warriors a little bit because of the the contract situation he was having in 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 golden state and then he was here for like two games and cut like that was just like okay we see what this is the idea real fast before we before we break the idea that that could have possibly cost the Cavs their first round pick this year (laughs) i mean can you imagine i would i would have probably said like i need to take a break from nba basketball for a few years the Cavs would have had to been relegated if that like bring in pro routes to the nba and like bring up like the sioux falls sky force for like two years if that's the case because that's like that's like worse than the the sacramento Kings stuff frankly Oh my God! What a year! What a roster! Um, if you have time, I fully recommend like going onto Basketball Reference and like looking at the roster listeners because, whew, you will forget. I forgot that like Kobe Simmons was on the Cavs. I forgot Andrew Harrison was on a two-way contract at one point. Um, just a a wide-ranging, uh, expansive list of random dudes who played for the Cavs. Like Jalen Jones got cut and immediately was like gone to Europe. So that that tells you everything you need to know about him being on a two-way contract. Um, but we're gonna take a quick break and remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to the Lockdown Cavs podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features. Download Himalaya in your app store and subscribe to Locked On Cavs. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back with Jake Chapman from 92.3 The Fan. All right, Jake, so the Cavs this season, a lot of it was acquiring assets. 
it's a lot of guys that are going on expiring contracts. You have Clarkson, Knight, Delhi, Henson, and Tristan Thompson all on expiring deals going into next season. When you look at this roster as it is right now, how many guys do you feel like are actually part of the next Cavs team that actually tries to be good? Whether that's next year or the year after, how many guys right now do you feel like are actually part of the future of this team going forward? Yeah, I would say probably two. Um, I think, you know, maybe three if you include Kevin and um, and I guess Larry Nance. So let me say three or four. I think the future is about Jetty and it's about Colin right now. And I think it, I think you have to take a longer look at it. Like, I fully expect them to not be good again next year and to get their first-round pick back next year and to make that Atlanta uh, trade conveying to two second-round picks. And so now we're talking about all that money coming off the books next year, Chris. And, you know, you're talking about JR's expiring contract, which you should be able to turn into something. Um, but it might be something else where you take on bad money and get a pick attached. So I'm trying to look at this, and I hope they are too, as a three- or four-year plan which probably doesn't include Kevin Love as, you know, a, a, a primary um, piece of your team the next time you actually make a run. I think they have to identify who they're going to build around, and I don't think they have that yet. I think Collins a nice piece. Um, I think Jetty, to a little bit lesser of extent, in, in extent, is a nice piece. And same with Larry Nance. But, you know, uh, take that swing this year, whether it's RJ or Culver or whether you land with Zion Williamson. Um, you're hoping that that is a guy that you can build around moving forward. And if it's not, then you need to just keep taking chops at the tree. Um, find your Giannis, find your Jokic. You know, I think adding first-round picks in the next two, three years is should be the primary objective. I think it probably is. Um, but I think it's probably going to be a, a three- or four-year um, rebuild but by the time that they're you know actually ready to do something. I would, I would hate for them, like we spoke about in the first segment, to to sort of short term it and anytime you're looking at teams who have done rebuilds and you're you know using anecdotal evidence to talk about teams that did it wrong you're talking about teams that tried to shortcut it i saw firsthand orlando had a, a good rebuild plan in place and then ownership said look we've sucked for too long we need to um, we need to short short term this a little bit and try to make the playoffs next year and hopefully they have have a long-term look at it because it really could work chris i mean you do the brooklyn way and you, and you try to bring in young talent and you bring in bad money and you add picks and um you know you hopefully get a good young developmental coach and eventually somebody will want to come play here if you have a good young core in place i think i think the other part about that um is i think this is the summer that if kevin's going to get moved i feel like it's the summer because it's early enough in his contract, you know, he's not, um, it's to the back end of it yet when you, I think any, any team, including the Cavs should be worried that his, his physical health is just going to decline. You know, there's already that injury history there. We don't quite know what his value is going to be in, in the trade market. Um, I think they should be picky about what they trade for him because I do think there's something to the idea of like having adults in the room in a rebuild. Um, I agree. The one thing I don't like, like, I think the process is like the right, way to go in terms of like rebuilding and especially the NBA but I don't feel like taking all the adults out of the room and not having like someone for Colin that can bail out Colin Sexton um, that can bail out Jetty that can make life easier on those guys is a smart thing like if RJ Barrett is the pick let's say do you want to have him come into a situation where like his best teammate in terms of ball creation or leading the offense is either Jordan Clarkson or Colin Sexton like I don't feel like that's an optimal way to rebuild it's also a way that i don't think for the for the Cavs is the most sustainable because i just don't think they're going to be a team that's ever gonna i mean they have to they don't have any free agency money really this summer they don't have 
um, a ton of guys that you think you're going to be able to flip to get like other good players back. Like like you have said, it's trading, let's say Brandon Knight and ta- or J.R. Smith, you know, his contract for next year, and you know, getting back some money or getting back a guy that's like overpaid and, and maybe get a pick attached. Like that's the way you have to do it. I think for me, the guys that I feel like could be on the next good Cavs team are Colin Sexton, Jetty. Depending on how Jetty really does kind of improve. Kevin Love, if they don't trade him, I think Nance based on that extension um, is certainly going to be there. And I think Nawaba, but it depends on what happens this summer. And then you get into the picks and stuff. But I think those are the guys I feel the most um, secure. But I think the name that's most interesting that we both left off is Ante Zizic. Where are you at on Ante? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on him, Chris. Um, I, you know, when you watch him, for instance, defend a pick and roll, you're like, okay, he's never going to be a valuable piece on a good team on a in a playoff series. Somebody's going to play him right off the floor. And then I think about, you know, I was in Orlando when they got Nick Vucevic in the first place, and I'm like, there is room for guys to improve. And I don't know if it's a fair comparison because I think Nick's got quicker feet, but I think there is room for guys to improve. Um, so much so, it just if you're an, an offensive guy and you're a good rebounder, there's probably going to be room for you in the league somewhere. So if he can improve, he's still so young, and he obviously has offensive skills. If he can just improve a little bit each year at things like pick and roll defense, and you can get better at it just by being smarter. You're not going to turn into a much better athlete than you are. But if you get smarter with angles, I mean, you become a better rebounder. If you get smarter with anticipating um, screens coming and and cheating a little bit, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to be a starter, um, but there's obviously some skill there. I just, I don't know, I just look at where the league is going and I go, that would be nice if he turns into, you know, an acceptable defensive player as a big on the floor. But if I were building my team the way I would want to build it and the way the, the, the league is going, I would have, you know, I'd play positionless basketball. I'd have a whole bunch of guys who can switch screens and shoot and defend on the perimeter, and he doesn't fit into that. If his if he had range, I would feel, even from the elbow, I would feel a little bit better about him. Um, I think he, he can move his feet decently, but it's inconsistent. I feel like he's another guy I just think probably should play in summer league again, you know, uh, just to get him some more reps. I do sure. I do wonder how the, the Cavs summer um, will really affect him because they have, like, a ton of guys up front. So you have Love, Thompson, Nance, John Henson, Zizic, all under contract for next year. If you want to lump Nawab in there because he plays a ton of four, or at least did this year, you I think that's fair to do. Something I think has to just give there, and I wonder if like Ante is like you know brought back, but is like not guaranteed minutes or anything like that. Like I just I wonder what they think of him and how they prioritize making him like a real NBA player. He's under contract like cheaply for a couple more years, so it's not like there should be like a rush to know exactly what you have. But at some point, I do, do want to see what they actually think of him. Um, where are you at on Colin right now? He obviously finishes the year shooting really well, scoring at a high level. Are you more or less in on him than you would have been like three months ago? Yeah, it's weird from from okay, well, for three months ago I'm definitely a little bit more in on him, right? He's played a lot better post all star. But even if you go back to like when I was excited about him, after they drafted him, I was it's kinda like, Well, this is probably the guy at eight, you know, I don't I didn't really want anybody else particularly more than that. Um, and then in summer league, and stupid me, but in summer league I was like, Oh, well, this guy, you know, they might actually have something here. He can get wherever he wants on the floor. It's it's funny because now, you know, six months later or whatever, 
from 30,000 feet, I actually rate him kind of similarly to what I did then, but it's for different reasons. Like, I thought he was going to be better at finishing, better at creating off the dribble than we saw certainly at the beginning of the year. But even now, I still think that's where he needs to grow. I didn't think he would shoot the ball as well as he has so, uh, so far. So I think there's, you know, I, I realize we play the player comp game so much with him. Um, I've been thinking, you know, Larry Drew the other day talked about Brandon Knight when he was younger, and I, I had drawn that comparison in my head. I, I can see that. Um, I covered Reggie Jackson a lot in Detroit, and I see some of that, too, um, as a guy who's going to be able to, to take over games if he's hitting jumpers um, in, in the fourth quarter. He's a guy who's going to be able to score in bunches, whether or not that's off the bench or whether or not that's playing two-guard. I still think is um, unable to be determined. I don't love the De'Aaron Fox comparisons because – he turned into such a better creator in year two. I mean, he's averaging, I think, over seven assists a game. I just don't see that next year for Colin. Maybe three or four years down the road, he can inch up and become a better distributor. But it's really frustrating watching him, you know, get to where he wants to get on the floor, but then not make the simple pass or not necessarily take it that next level and create for his teammates. And it's also frustrating watching him try to figure out how to finish. Um, and that's why I go back to the Reggie Jackson thing, because Reggie's game opened up once he figured out the floater and the team dropping that in between uh, in between game and once he figured out how to maximize his shiftiness to get a defender on his back off the pick and roll um, and to create the the mismatch and the uneven offense from there so I think when all that stuff comes from Colin the thing that we love about Colin the thing they told us when they drafted him was the guy's a dog he's a workhorse he's going to be in the gym he loves basketball this is his life and sometimes when you're drafting guys that's like that makes a huge difference, all things considered. If you have equal prospects, find me the guy who loves basketball and doesn't can't keep him out of the gym. Um, so that's kind of the hope for Colin is that another summer. I mean, look, he improved, Chris, throughout the season, his rookie year, and we just talked about what a crazy season it was, how many different guys he's had to deal with, um, all the stuff early in the year about whether or not his veterans – uh, teammates, you know, liked playing with him, and Lord knows I could see why they didn't like playing with him. <laughs> he can be a black hole at times, but um, I think probably it's still kind of the same. I think he he probably projects as a starter, maybe a six-man, and maybe if he gets better by the time he's 25, 26 years old, he could be an all-star type player, um, but he's probably not going to be a, a superstar or even, you know, a consistent all-star. I think maybe he's one of these guys who hits an all-star appearance once in his career if it all comes together for him. The Reggie Jackson comp is the one that both I think makes the most sense and also it kind of terrifies me the most because I think it if, <laughs> because like I think Reggie like has his value but it's also like a thing where like he clearly annoys the crap out of dudes he plays with <laughs> um, and he like is sort of like is what he is and it, it it isn't like a guard that I would feel super comfortable with like leading a playoff team that being said if the Cavs like can find a way to make other guys like Jetty uh this is where I think Kevin's passing was maybe underutilized this year Nance's passing becomes an interesting thing you know if they take RJ and he leads the offense a lot or if they get Kobe White or something or Jared Culver whose passing looks like it's going to be a real part of his game that to me right. is like where the Sexton is Reggie Jackson thing becomes valuable. Um, and I think it's notable how often towards the end of the year, even when like Love was back or even when like other guards were on the floor with him, Knight, Sexton was like pushed off to the side in an off ball way. Like he was used as a guy to cut, to get open. Um, they slowly expanded that role for him. It's something he did not do at Alabama. Um, he took like a, it was like, like a minuscule amount of catch and shoot threes. And that's something he actually ended up being pretty decent at in the NBA. So if they could like make that work, it's a weird player, but it's I think at least a useful one. And I I think a hundred percent he's gone from being like um basically like a, a 
a RIP Vine, but like a Vine guy from Summer League to being like a disaster the first three months of the year to being someone that even if there's clear flaws and things we don't know what if he's going to figure it out yet, he's not like a, a total disaster in a way that he might have been if he kept up how he played the first three months of the season the rest of the year. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, even early on in the season, there were a lot of positive signs, just, you know, free throw shooting. And um, maybe he wasn't shooting as many threes, but he was still hitting them at a pretty good clip all year. So I think there's, look, you you have to like what you've seen. And, and anytime you see a guy improving throughout the season, especially when one of your team's winning 19 games, um, that's big. And I and give credit to, look, he looks like a different player, certainly, next to Kevin Love and uh, if Tristan's in there or whatever. I think give credit to Kobe Altman for bringing in a guy like Delhi. I think probably Brandon Knight has been good for him. Um, bringing in tryhards and bringing in guys who, you know, a guy like Knight who has something to prove, who can can probably tell Colin something and he'll listen, um, has some similar background. I think that was all, those were all good moves. I, I, I like the fact that, you know, maybe the team's going to suck this year, but, you know, like you said, keep a couple adults in the room and at least bring in some veterans who have some value beyond just they're an expiring contract or uh, it's just a guy that we had to bring in for, you know, to facilitate a trade. The other thing with Sexton I think is worth noting, and it's something you can't really quantify in a status, I do believe that the guy is like an insane worker. Like if there's anything that anyone in the Cavs will tell you and that he you can learn from like watching what he does after games and stuff, the dude just like loves basketball. That's all he really does. And like he seems like a guy who if you're gonna bet on someone, and it's I think part of the reason why the Cavs did draft him, um, he's a really, really hard worker and like that's such a cliche thing to say but not every dude is wired that way and it seems like Colin might be wired that way so I I just want to see what that sort of um, leads to Uh, wrap up the section on this note Uh, Jake what was you have like a favorite moment of this year anything to you that whether it's because of it was funny or fun that you actually like stood out as something you really enjoyed kind of as it happened Hmm, I've forgotten about the um Macaw incident until you brought it up before, and do you remember? Do you remember Kaylee took that picture of him, and he was frowning when he when he first put on his jersey. No, but before, I'm gonna like, go. No, I don't remember that, but I'm gonna go find that now because I did. That yeah, is you'll see it on Twitter. There's it's it. I mean, you know, she was she was not intending that. It was like, hey, Patrick Macaw's a calf. Yeah, and all the comments were like, oh, he looks really excited to be one. <laughs> um, that was funny. No, I think. Look, I was thinking about this because it's been such a, I don't know, like my favorite moment was when they got a first-round pick, uh, a conditional first-round pick for George Hill. Um, But I would say probably the best game and the best moment was, you know, the whole Sexton stretch post-All-Star break. Um, And I think that Pistons game was um, kind of the, you know, the apex of that. It was Colin and Jetty scoring big buckets late in the game against a team that's going to the playoffs. I know Blake didn't play that night, but either um just a couple weeks ago was that monday night home game and it just felt like okay this is at least something to work with moving forward it's really good to see colin at home making big shots and um i don't know it's been like a 180 i mean Cavs, any Cavs fan who completely wrote off colin sexton um got way over their skis early in the season it's a 19 year old point guard in the nba for crying out loud but it's really cool to see him turn it around uh after the all-star break and kind of kind of make people at least a little bit excited for the future. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm also going to say just the first game Delhi was back was such like a uh, injection of life into the crowd. <laughs> like yeah. because like he I, there's just something about that dude that he's just always going to be really popular. Um I I there's no doubt in my mind that he along with Kevin Love and the team breaking 100 points and getting free chicken nuggets for the fans was like the most people cheered all year. 
there's like no doubt in my mind that that is true. Um, I don't have like science to back that up, but I firmly believe that that's true. And I think like as much as he could get flipped and that would be a very smart, maybe pragmatic move if he can get the Cavs an asset, people would be like kind of pissed if Dallas got traded. Chris, Chris, one more thing on that. I think the important part about this summer um, is that I expect madness. Like there's so many teams with cap space and there's so many big, big free agents who are going to be on the move that, and Jason Wood has talked about this a lot too, I could see a week or two into free agency somebody missing out and somebody having a whole bunch of space and saying, you know, we kind of need somebody to deliver to our fans to show them we're going for it this summer. And I think there could be a good market for Kevin uh, kind of in that regard. Yeah, I don't disagree with that one bit. All right, we're going to take one more break, and then we're going to come back to look a little bit towards the summer there. Um, And remember that Lockdown Cavs is not the only Cleveland podcast that you can catch every day. Be sure to check out Lockdown Browns, hosted by Jeff Lloyd, and Lockdown Indians, hosted by Jeff Ellis. And you can get those wherever you get podcasts. We will be right back. And we are back with Jake Chapman from 90.23 The Fan, um, a radio station in Cleveland if you're not in the area. Okay, Jake, I'm going to have you rank these five things in terms of how important you think they are to the Cavs summer and how they will shape the Cavs summer. They are lottery night, hiring a new head coach, the actual NBA draft, free agency, and the trade market. What what to you is the, are the, the one or two most important things from that list? All right, I'll go lottery, um, obviously. I think Zion is one thing, and then I think having the second pick and having your pick between whoever it is you like, probably Barrett or Culver, I would assume, maybe Ja, um, is a whole other thing. And then if you end up, you know, getting the sixth or seventh pick, God forbid, uh, that would be a really, really bad night. So I'll go the lottery, and then I'll say the draft, and what, what whatever it is that does occur that night, I think that's going to be huge uh, for the team moving forward. I'll say trades next and then coach and then free agency. I really don't expect them to do anything in free agency. I think the coach is obviously really important, um, but, you know, players make a coach. So between the the lottery and the draft and whoever it is they end up with with that top pick, I think that's probably the most important thing moving forward. Um, and then I think you could, you know, like I said, I think we've already discussed, and I'm kind of an advocate for potentially trading Kevin this summer, but that depends on what you get back. Like, you don't need to to sell him off just because because um, there's certainly a whole lot of benefits to keeping Kevin. I think maybe there's a market for Tristan, I'm not sure, but you have all these expiring deals. I mean, um, the JR deal we mentioned, and, you know, somebody who... Clarkson played well this year. He cost $13 million. Um, maybe he's more appealing to somebody at the deadline next year, but, you know, that's certainly an asset. They've got some assets here, so I think trades will probably be really important this summer, too. Um, I really don't expect them to do much in free agency, as far as I'm concerned, if you bring back one or two guys... Um, that you've had this year, and you know whether it's Chris or Stauskas, one of these guys. I'm not crazy about either of them, but if they're cheap and you want to give them a chance to develop a little bit, then go for it. So I agree with you. I think the order is clearly the lottery because I think that will set the tone for everything else. I think the draft, if that's not one, if that's not number one, it's one B because whatever they do there is going to be really key because theoretically it could be like their highest draft pick. It could be, you know, it's their second lottery pick in the post LeBron era, like after Sexton. So like it's going to matter in some way. And if they mess that up, 
we've seen what like one bad draft can how it can kind of impact um, something. Like you look at like the the Wizards drafting like Jan Vesely the year after getting John Wall. Like stuff like that can really impact your ability to build. You look at if you want to go way way back, the Cavs got LeBron and then they followed up by drafting Luke Jackson. They got Kyrie and Tristan. They followed up by drafting Deion Waiters, drafting Anthony Bennett. Like those things can hinder your ability to actually build. So I think those are like neck and neck one. I have coach at three and I'm probably undervaluing the trade market a little bit, but I'm just fascinated by what they're going to do because there we've had reporting out there from Varden and from Lloyd for a while that they are interested in a player development coach. Larry Drew is basically for sure not coming back. I think that's probably the right call. It's a, it's a bit unfair for Larry and it's probably the last time he's going to be a head coach. And I can understand you know, why he'd be frustrated by it and, and all that. But I, because he definitely got a raw deal with the Bucks. But I feel like they are going to go in a different direction. We also just don't know what that actually is going to end up looking like. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that at some point we're going to hear Tom Izzo floated out on like a 10 year contract. Like, like, that just seems like a Dan Gilbert move. You look at his track record, it's to do things that are unorthodox, it's a track record to do something that is going after big names. But that to me doesn't like feel like the right move for this group. Um, I think a younger player development minded guy is like the thing that makes sense. Like if you look at like obvious candidates, Chris Gent comes from Atlanta. He's player development there, helps develop that offense with Trey Young. He has a connection to the Cavs, connection to Ohio from his time at Ohio State. He makes sense. Jordy Fernandez, you can find like a ton of Mike Gainsey quotes, who's Colby Altman's right-hand man, about how much he loves Jordy Fernandez. He used to coach the Canton Charge is now with Nuggets. But and you look at the Cavs coaching history hires, it's Paul Silas to coach LeBron uh, to get a veteran in there with LeBron. Then you get um, Mike Brown, you get Byron Scott, you get Mike Brown again, and you get David Blatt. Blatt's like the one guy that was like the maybe the right coach for the moment, even if the LeBron's like a pre-LeBron moment. I wonder, I just wonder what they do now. And I just don't really have an expectation of how that process is actually going to play out. Last time they hired a coach, they did not hire one until June 20th. I cannot imagine they're going to take that long this time. Yeah, and see, but that's the interesting thing is, okay, I, I would say the lottery is going to be very important. If you get Zion, that kind of opens up like, <laughs> the search, I would think. Um, and, you, you know, we there's precedent for that, too. You hire David Blatt, and then you get LeBron, and it's like, oh, wait. Um, but like you said, Blatt was probably the right coach for the moment. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I like Adrian a lot. Um, I like the idea of maybe hiring a, an ex-player. I know Jordy Fernandez is probably going to get um, a, a lot of a lot of pub. I, the, the Izzo thing, like I don't know. Yeah, we're going to hear about it. But if you're Tom Izzo, do you really want to like? No. It just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. I don't want that. I want I want our Lloyd Pierce. I want our Kenny Atkinson. Um, find a guy who's going to be in it for the long term and and who either has some development experience or like I like Griffin just because I think he's a guy who can probably really connect um, with players you know from his experience and and he got he's been on so many good staffs and people just rave about him um, but that's pretty much as far as my list goes I haven't you know Chris Gent you know I think we all are at least a little bit familiar with him it'll probably be a guy that you know your average NBA public is not uh, fully aware of and if they do that I think that'll probably be the right move would you wait till after the lottery to, to hire someone like is that like something you inter- if you were running the search that you would actually like just based on maybe your who might be interested would you hold off to see what happens with Zion before you do something yeah yeah with Zion and even you know I would like to know what Kobe 
if I were Dan Gilbert and I wanted a head coach, I would want to be in a room with Kobe um, on May 15th going, who do you want and who's going to be the best head coach for that guy? And I would go from there. I mean, I think there's, you know, I people are going to talk about Avery Johnson probably, right? And it's probably a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. Oh, but such a I terrible idea. Is, <laughs> I think there is something to be said for um, not building or not hiring a coach for Colin Sexton, but maybe hiring a coach for R.J. Barrett or certainly maybe thinking about a coach for Zion Williamson. Um, and that doesn't mean to just go grab a Duke assistant or some guy off the Canadian, uh, you know, who coaches Team Canada. Um, but I think, you know, you'll have a sense of what your team's going to look like and maybe what your plan for moving forward is after you know where you're picking. I think this is all also just going to really, like – for me, the coaching hire fascinates me because the Cavs spent like the summer and the season and, and maybe not like directly as much, but they've really talked about like wanting to establish like a culture. And that's not something that they have done. Um, if you want to look at the, the 2003 to now era, the culture has largely been centered around when LeBron is on the team and not. And when he's not on the right. team, things are chaotic. This is like the Cavs chance to like really settle, like build themselves into something that is different than what they've been. And I feel like the coaching hire is part of that. Like, I think about them in Phoenix a lot because, like, both of them have had chaotic things. They both have owners that are known to be involved in everything. Thank goodness Dan Gilbert has not, like, had a goat shitting in Kobe Altman's office at any point, as far as we know. Um, You can hit me on Signal if you have, like, a story like that out there. Hit me. But um, I, like, just want to see if they can do something where they hire. Like, I think Igor Kokoshkov is, like, the right kind of coach because he's player development. Um, he's going to, you know, he's came from a successful staff in Utah. Like, that's the kind of guy I want, and I want to see that guy, like, be empowered to do something with, like, a, a coordinated front office effort from the top down. Like, that to me is – I just, like, want to see if they can turn the page to that because – even though they've won the title, they got LeBron back, all this stuff, like they have not had like a culture that isn't defined by LeBron since 2003. That has been a positive culture. I want to see if they can actually be like a competent organization in a way we just haven't seen them been. I think the coaching hire is going to matter in that quite a bit. No, and it's crazy because, I mean, you're right. Like there's like Dan Gilbert has done a lot of bad and there are, the reason he has a reputation as being meddlesome is not because, um, He's not, you know, like that reputation yeah. is well earned. He is that way. But I also think people can get better at being owners. Um, I think Mark Cuban got better at being an owner. Um, I think eventually, if you, if I, eventually, if you find the right guys, and that's been part of the problem, right? He'll never keep a general manager. But I think Kobe Altman has something going here. He's young, and you know, he obviously isn't perfect, but. As long as Dan doesn't get too much in his way and provides him the resources, and we're not worried about that, we know Dan provides resources, um, I think they'll be okay. I think there is, and look, even if you go back to when they had Chris Grant and David Griffin, it was trending in the right direction, it felt like. It was a little bit chaotic those first couple years when you have young Kyrie, and we know how crazy he is, and um, you know, you're matching him with Dion, you're doing X, Y, and Z. But it, it felt like it was at least headed in the right direction. And then LeBron comes back, and like you say, like the whole thing gets sort of hijacked. Um, last year was an absolute mess, but I wouldn't say last year was a, an absolute mess because of Dan Gilbert. David Griffin not being any here anymore, maybe because of Dan Gilbert, and maybe that led to the mess. Um, but I, I have faith, I think, and maybe it's it's unfounded, that he's going to let Kobe Altman do what's necessary. And maybe he won't let him trade away Kevin Love, and maybe that would be the best thing to do. Or maybe he'll he'll try to, to shy away from, you know, 
the process, but I don't think you need to rebuild over a course of five years. I think you can get good again within three or four years um, as long as you have all the things that they seem to have in place. Taking on bad, you know, allowing the team to take on bad money to add picks is a really, really good sign, and we know he's, he's at least good for that. I will say this. I do think it's not unintentional that Dan has been much quieter this season. Like, we haven't heard from him sure. in months, right? Like, it's been a long time, maybe since, like, the last Q thing where we really have heard him speak. Um, I, the last time I even saw him in the bottom of the arena, and, I'm, you know, I haven't been there every, every game, but was the night that Serge Ibaka... Oh, this is a great moment in terms of things I saw live that I forgot about. When Serge Ibaka punched Mar- Marquise Chris in the face. Was it, isn't that a moment, as a Cavs fan, where you're just, like, sort of secretly satisfied because it's so... <laughs> frustrating watching Marquise Chris play basketball (laughs) so I was like taking notes like I was like looking down because I had the time out I was like you know fixing a typo in my notes and then I look up and there's just like people screaming from and I look up from my seat in on media row and I didn't even like see what happened live and I just see like Marquise Chris like being pulled away from Habaka and I had a buddy that was at the game and he texted me he's like did you see that? And he was like freaking out. I'm like, and I went on Reddit because shots to, to our backslash NBA for just like having it there within two minutes. I was like, man, what a what a time. Um, I, he just he got straight up clocked, and I don't even blame. Like, just what a moment! What a moment for the Gavs that Marquise Chris just gets like decked. <laughs> what a what a what a year. Um, different rivalry with the Raptors there too. I totally forgot about that, but that was the last time that I saw Dan because after the game. There was a guy in the video that you can see that when you watch the video of that from a certain angle, that there's this dude that like jumps up like he's like watching like a world star video happen in real time, and Dan <laughs> like he was talking to Dan after the game, and I don't know who he is, but um, that was the last time I saw Dan at the arena. Okay, we're gonna wrap it up on this. What to you, Jake? The Cavs wrap up the season. Uh, they're going to be a lottery team. We have to see what happens with the lottery. We need to see what their intentions are. We really need to see maybe what kind of hints they give at any postseason media that they do do. What to you is the next logical step um, for this group and this franchise as we look towards the next couple of years? Well, um, I think obviously the lottery and this year's draft is, is going to be huge. Um, I think you're hoping to find your guy with this pick. And I think you're hoping that a summer in the gym with um, with Colin Sexton, with Jetty Osmond, hopefully taking those next steps, at least builds you a young core moving forward. This offseason is going to be fascinating. I think there's a way to build up even more picks moving forward and add to that um, that stockpile of draft picks with some of these contracts without trading away your best players, without necessarily moving Kevin um, or even Tristan. I'm not sure what the market's going to be like for Tristan. I'm fascinated by that. Still a really good player when he wants to be and when he's healthy. Um, but at that at that cost, I'm not sure if people will be dying to trade for him this summer. Um, but, you know, some of these expiring deals, you've got a whole lot of money that can come off the books next year. And within the next calendar year, I think you should be able to really, really put forth a plan um, to add young talent and to, to at least build what it's going to look like in three or four years. I hope they take the long view of it. Um, again, that doesn't mean you absolutely have to trade Kevin Love, but I hope they just try to add picks and add young talent and build a young core and, you know, four or five wax at the tree and four or five guys who you think maybe could be a part of the next championship team or at least the next contending for a championship team. Um, 
so yeah, I think this summer is really big. I think this year's been really big, even though it doesn't look like it necessarily on the floor. The games have not been important this year. I mean, they they haven't won many games, and that was okay. And it might be that way next year as well. But I think seeing what what the you know glimpses of what the future is going to look like, um, you have seen that this year. And so those moments have been the most important thing. Those. Um, you know those ideas of maybe you know maybe Colin Sexton actually is uh, a pretty good NBA player and could be a starter on a pretty good team, um, and just sort of the the notion that it's going to be about three or four years down the road, but they might have something here, and hopefully they go about it kind of honestly and, and and take it slow and don't try to fix it overnight. I think that's the right move. I think this summer is all about not rushing it. Um, last time they rushed it a little bit and like signing Earl Clark to be an eight seed, it did not work out. <laughs> they need to do things in a way that I think is more sustainable, establish the culture, does the things that like are cliche, but the Cavs just have not done in the past. It's going to be really fascinating, frankly. Um, I think this is a really pivotal summer. It's going to give us a lot of insight into how this organization is going to work going forward. Um, it's going to be something I don't think we've quite seen from this Cavs group. It's a very different setup than the last time LeBron left. Um, I, I think it has the potential to play out completely differently, not just because it's likely, you know, he's not going to come back and like make them contenders again. It's a situation where they, there's the odds are they're not going to get the same amount of number one picks that they did last time. That is just, that would be crazy and hilarious, but it just isn't the likeliest scenario out there. But Jake will be talking about it as well as, well as a bunch of other things on 90.23 The Fan. You can find him on Twitter at JakeChapman92.3. Jake, thanks as always for coming on. Absolutely. No problem, Chris. Thanks again to Jake Chapman for coming on today's show. Again, find him on Twitter at JakeChapman92.3. Um, again, find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. The podcast is on Twitter at Locked on Cavs and on Facebook there as well. Again, back tomorrow with a first in our player review series. Jackson Flickinger joins me to talk about Nick Stauskas, Matthew Dolavadova, and Brandon Knight. Um, again, supporting the show, the best way to do so, go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave that five-star rating interview, the best way to support the show. And again, back tomorrow. Very near the end of the season here. One game left. It's been a wild ride and a whole bunch more to come. But we'll talk to you then. And thanks again for listening.